0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. It's like we're coming back from a commercial break that was a week long. Wow. That's a lot of commercials. That's, we're, <laughs> That's mar- we're marketing sellouts. Yet, that is
1: actually a very sellout accurate... Sellout is such an outdated no, no, and no, no. nonsensical it's not term. It's oh, it a, is. But it, I'm just saying,
2: if a week of your content is actually not content, then it's probably a problem. Have you
1: seen basic television nowadays? No, I watch everything online. I
2: mean, get no, me wrong. Commercials have been getting steadily longer ever since I was little.
1: Well, it's because people are skipping minutes. them, so the ones who see them, they need to get their money's worth. Forty minutes is an outlier as an episode, an hour-long episode. That's the amount of content you're expected to get. That's 36 true. I six think, minutes. I F- think eight. I measured this back in the days when I used
2: to tape things, you know, on tapes that actually were like tapes, and it was something like. Say tapes like, one more time tapes i like yeah. tapes hey there's not going to be too many more chances for me to actually say them fair but point. anyway they were about 47 minutes back when in like circa 96
0: yeah that's yeah. a long time ago
2: yeah almost two decades yeah and <laughs> i would still pause the commercials that's how i knew
1: yeah the, the last
0: bastion of actual full-fledged content seems to be the bbc well and netflix because their their hour-long shows are uh, about 45 minutes to an hour depending no the they're, like, they're like an hour long yeah, just yeah. 56 minutes uh, before we get into this week's album, it's of course that time of year again where I participate in the 24 hour plays. By participate, I mean volunteer to help the people actually doing the stuff. No,
2: that, that's still participating.
0: <laughs> that's true. Um, so this year's uh, was just like every other, as far as being awesome. Um, and they raised a lot of money, helped uh, Urban Arts Partnership raise money for underprivileged youths getting the arts that they need in their life. Um, the talent was really great. Our musical guest this year so for the previous years, um, Andre Day had been our musical guest, and she's kind of like a Rihanna, but with more talent, um, more soulful, a lot more intricacies in her music, big belty voice. Anyway, she wasn't there this year. Instead, the group that they brought was a, I think, seven person acapella group called the Philharmonic with an F. Instead of a PH. Uh, doesn't get cleverer than that. <laughs> I've heard of them. I
1: can't yeah. even place anything by them or attributed to them, but I've heard of them.
0: A lot of acapella stuff is becoming very popular on YouTube. But um, So they were the musical guests. And so how it works with 24-hour plays is there are six plays. And between each play, they have the musical guest, And uh, so they would come out and sing... And what was really interesting is they did a bunch of different songs. They, Since they didn't have instruments, they were wireless. They would sing from the balconies. They would sing from off stage, the side of the stage. And then the final or the second to last performance they did was just their beatbox guy doing all of the instrumentation came out by himself and did the biggest show offy beatbox thing that i've ever seen it was just awesome he did like dubstep beats he did regular beats rhythms old school stuff like he was his his range was incredible so that was really cool um, i made a connection with them afterwards and chatted with them for a bit hoping to get them on autographs or if they're in new york again on this show but that would be a lot but we, it would be an evening with, for sure. Oh. We would get to know album review with seven Well, people. every time you have an autographs episode, it's an evening with.
2: That's true. For Crash Course Podcast. Right. Then,
0: then it's a special. So, uh, So we'll see when that happens. I'm in touch with them, but they are in L.A., and... Getting them all on a phone might be trying, but we're gonna give it a shot. But they were really great, so definitely check them out. They're on Facebook and Twitter and Bandcamp and blah blah blah.
2: Any other standoutish performances, or are you contractually obligated to say everybody was awesome?
0: No, I mean everyone was great. Um, the The shows are always very interesting. <laughs> well, the shows are always very interesting because they're all written within like four hours and then learned within another seven. You know, it's within 24 hours the whole process happens. Um, some of the talent that was in this show, and I'm gonna blank as we go, but one of some of the big ones was like Molly Ringwald was in it, which was. Really Really cool. Um, who I got to meet, um, Christina Hendricks. Uh, Christina Hendricks. Her husband was in it, whose name I can't remember. But if you've seen Super Troopers, the guy who goes the snozberries taste like snozberries, that actor, Jeff, I'm blanking on his last name. He was also in Body of Proof and a bunch of other shows. He was in it as well. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't know the names. They're already on the internet. It's a podcast. Google, true. yeah, guy Google this stuff and, and
2: the little clues he's giving you.
0: But yeah, um, the cast was really great. Um, And, uh, of course, now, because Steve put me on the spot to mention who was in it, I can't remember any of the names, but uh, Taryn (laughs) Killam was in it again, Jay Farrow from SNL was in it again, Um, um, Kathy and Jimmy is always a director now, she used to write, Um, David Kromholtz was in it, he wrote in the past, now he was acting this year. Now we're getting some names. Yeah. It was was a really great show, it was a lot of fun, it's really cool to meet the talent and help them through the process, they're all very stressed out because it's, you know, it's for a good cause, but it's a lot of work to get this stuff right. Um, Oh, um... What's his name from the office was in it that you would know? Um, British office? American office? American office. American office. What job? Um, um, Krish- Krishansky.
2: Oh, Jim. Yes. Jim Jim Krishan, who was actually Jim as an actor and as the No, part. he's
0: John Krasinski. Oh, John. Oh, John. But, but, but he's his character's Jim. Jim yes. John. All right. All right. Jim John, John Jim. Jim, Jim John, Johnny Jim. Anyway, he was in it as well. So was um, Diane Neal, who's done it a bunch of times as well, who I'm actually fairly friendly with because Sarah's known her for a while. Um, Tracy Toms, who's a very well-known Broadway actress and has done a ton of TV. And it's just, it's always a great cast. There's always a hefty amount of both people who've done it before, who kind of guide the process. Mm-hmm. Julia Stiles, another name that just popped through my head who was in it. Um, and then there's plenty of people who are new to it, and they kind of get shepherded along. It was it was pretty cool. It's been going on for a while, right? 2001 was like the first? They just year-ish? celebrated their 20-year anniversary okay. for the Kickstarter, Longer. and this was their 15th year doing it at Broadway. Wow. At the American Airlines Theater, I believe, was where they've been doing it all 15 years. And now it's all over. Well, until next year. <laughs> Moment of sadness. And, of course, the next one will be in April. I'll speak of it again when we do the 24-hour musicals. Um, so, so, yeah. So, it was a lot of fun. I always enjoy being a part of it. Um, and I always, I always discover really interesting musical acts because they always have a musical act to break up the plays. So, definitely check out the Philharmonic and hopefully they'll be on an episode of one of our podcasts at some point. Absolutely. So, now we begin?
2: Yes. All right. <laughs> Beirut, no, no, no. And there are no commas in no, no, no. It's just no, no, no. This is Steve's it's a, it's a pick, of singular, course. singular thought. Yes, this is my pick for this week, is the album we're doing. Beirut, as I discussed last week, has been a favorite of mine because I like the border that they straddle. I mentioned last week they've been termed Balkan folk pop or Baroque pop by a lot of internet goers because much of their work has this signature, almost ancient, but very timeless sound like you're on the shores of the Mediterranean or something. It's not solely Balkan, and I'll get to that, but for the geographically inept, the Balkans pretty much comprise southeastern Europe, the countries of former Yugoslavia, but also kind of Greece, also kind of Romania, and also Bulgaria. A very Slavic Greek tradition. That's the setting, and their instrumentation pretty much matches up with what you'd find in that tradition. He's pulled from a variety of instrumentalists over the years, and you get a range of moods within it. The more folksy stuff, the funeral dirges, the arias, all through a generally Balkan lens. But I must stress, the band is not from that region. As far as I can tell, they're from New Mexico, and the primary singer-songwriter, Zach Condon, merely has a kind of academic fascination with the region. But, as I believe his previous albums will definitely show, that'll take you a long way. Now, Lebanon, of which the band's name, Beirut, is actually the capital, despite being more southeasterly than the Balkans and clearly in the Mideast, being a Christian nation with a very complex history, it it takes more after Europe than its surroundings. In fact, here's a solid piece of wiki research, a quote by Zach Condon. I haven't been to Beirut, but I imagine it as this chic urban city surrounded by an ancient Muslim world, the place where things collide. And that seems to be what he's done with their sound, because we gotta go back to pop, or indie pop, whatever. Pop, quite frankly, is whatever it needs to be. These albums aren't exactly what I'd call a thorough study in any tradition, they have their own goals and more power to them. He's mentioned uh, interest in French culture, in jazz, in Mexican music, mariachi, so you can find a lot if you look for it, and the band certainly gets a lot of indie press as a result. Stylistically, I think it's safe to say he's in search of something a little bit more raw, something that at its core you'd find on a street corner, but draped in something more elaborate. I actually saw them perform at BAM a couple years ago, same concert where I discovered My Brightest Diamond, and it was a hell of an experience. So you take it in stride and remember that the degrees to which he indulges in one particular thing will certainly vary by the album. The Flying Club Cup, which was a 2007 album, is a personal favorite of mine for the balance that he achieved there. So let's see what he conjures up in No No No. We'll find out. Track one. Gibraltar. The first thing I want to do is address how you approach a track like this, just just right up front, because depending upon your personality, you're either coming at it from two angles. One, you're a sucker for pop, but you know that you want something different in the industry. Different percussion, maybe. Spoilers. Or, two, you have absolutely nothing to do with pop, and you're you're into off-the-beaten-track stuff, and this will kind of reel you back a bit, because it's pretty damn accessible. In fact, the only unique thing right up front is the percussion, And this is where I kind of fail at my job a little bit. I never quite know what it is. It sounds like tablas to my ear, it's probably just bongos, but there's also a tom-tom player listed. So obviously, there's a million varieties of those.
0: Yeah, um, the percussion, needless to say, feels very earthy. I mean, it's definitely a skin drum of some kind. It's not like a plasticky or metal-y kind of drum, like industrial drum. It's definitely earthy. It's it's definitely very earthy. Um, The the intro to the song between the percussion and the piano, it, it does feel kind of pop in structure. But it feels kind of personal and natural. Like, what I like about this song on the whole is that the whole song feels like it could be played anywhere with just the instruments provided. Yeah, that's the street corner thing I was talking about. It doesn't doesn't need to be plugged in anywhere, which is kind of nice and a nice change since we, especially coming from last week when we had a band who did rap with a lot of production work. Extremely produced. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: The actual nature of it being both unplugged and to have sort of a movement to it, it's not just the street corner, it's the guy walking down the street. Saunter is a word I really want to apply here. It's a word that we throw around a lot, but here it actually feels like someone just walking along playing the music. Even though you can't really walk with a piano, but <laughs> if, he's going, if you take that step past it and really get to the vocals themselves, the kind of low-key nature, it's, it's a guy humming to himself, talking to himself as he walks along the street. It's a very, very, yes, personal kind of a view, but it also gets a little bit lost in the crowd kind of an idea on top of it. No, I see that. And even, even the piano
2: itself, I, I kind of see the rawness within the piano because it sort of sounds like that barely tuned upright that we find a lot. It, it's It's a trope now, but the difference... is that I think he makes it a part of their sound. I've I've never really heard a Beirut album before that sounds like it was really played on a concert grand. I feel like Zach Condon would probably reject that if he was offered it.
0: (laughs) And also, speaking to the lyrics, which John brought up a bit, is he's got that kind of typical indie voice quality, at least in this track, it's, I like to call it the just a dude quality. It sounds like just (laughs) a guy singing, maybe someone who's not classically trained, although he might be. You know, it feels very natural and
2: nonchalant. Yeah, I have uh, some points about his vocals. I, I happen to really like his vocals, but I do admit that it is probably for that slightly unprofessional quality. It's actually one of my favorite elements of Beirut, actually, is his voice. Um, He's sort of a young guy, I think he's just 29, and he was certainly much younger when the band started, but his voice has almost this aged kind of ravaged flavor to it. Not in terms of, like, having a baritone or anything, but just having this slightly un- unpolished edge. He really banks on his vibrato. You can tell that he sort of banks on that, and it's very warm. But to me, he always, it always sounds like a, like a 70-year-old crooner who has to, like, get up and perform a, a song that he recorded in his youth. I know this is not sounding like a compliment so far, but there's a genuine, a genuine quality here—a a subtle form of straining, an unprofessionalism that just works, and you just can't explain it. But it it washes over you with warmth and and regret and heartbreak and all this I've lived to it.
1: You can't you can't judge it too harshly. Actually, having it sort of sort of stuck in between being background supporting the music and being a main character of the stage it doesn't lean one way or the other too dramatically having it in that middle ground allows it to remain part of the personality of the song instead of it developing its own personality and really really becoming a focus of it it's very very well used of uh, vocals as an instrument as opposed to the instruments trying to support the vocals yeah it's one of those It's one of those cases where I I defend it against anyone who's like, I don't think he ever took a vocal lesson a day in his life. Shut up. It it works. It works for the music. Especially when the bass and the shakers come in. And I really enjoy the bass and the way it sort of layers on top of everything, yet still supports everything. It does, it it, it captures my entertainment because I was starting to lose the song as it went along. Yeah. It starts looping. And this is something that is probably going to come up a lot. But... In this song, when the bass comes in, when the shakers sort of liven it up, it does transform it from that indie feel to a more pop-oriented song, and that actually does a lot to grab my attention. In this case, pop is a big compliment.
2: Yeah, nah, and it works for an intro for sure, which is why I really didn't think much of it at this stage in the game, but I agree, there's looping. The song is, is fairly repetitive. It's a constant round of the same verse, the same refrain, the same chords. It's it's uh, the background singers that I think make this a warmer track to me, though. I, I it, when you add that element in with his voice, which is already pretty warm, then eh, just, it just flows, it eases you into the album.
0: The, the track felt very heartfelt. Like, I didn't, I didn't at any point, for this track, at least feel bored or, or uninterested. It felt, like I said, it goes back to when I said earlier that it feels earthy. Like, I felt very, and the warmth of his vocals, I think, lends to that. It just felt like I was being hugged in a warm blanket of this song.
2: Well, there's a tendency, especially in the lyrics, to address that. He starts off saying, everything should be fine. You find things tend to stand in line It's but a link in time, but I'm sure you'll let me try." There's a kind of desire to just, like, immerse himself in the moment, almost like he's a little bit unable. And the music the music portrays the fact that he's able and has clearly done it. But there's a there's a little bit of a walking the line concept in the lyrics, where I, I don't think he's he's really achieving everything he wants to. He screams out, Oh, set it on fire, so long we're waiting on by. Who's, who laid a line? Say you're like my kind. So, yeah, it's a lot of desire here that doesn't feel met.
0: No, yeah, it does feel like the the song um, kind of is content to exist in this one space, and even though there might be a little more passion in the lyrics, the music and the way it's being sung is not conveying that, really. Actually, it was that lack of passion in the vocals, and I love the vocals,
1: but some of the lines almost scream out that they should be more heartfelt, more something there with a line like you love the times I sang your loss was mine something like that that's a proclamation but it comes off as so low key so just I sang your... It and it's it's almost lost, the way he's singing. See, now, I can't really pick it out. That's something and it's I rather really like enjoyable. about it. It's something I personally like about it because it's a kind of
2: just matter-of-fact delivery. And it, it's something that he has done in previous albums, previous lyrics. It's his little, his little twist, his turn of phrase is always very unique. Even later, you loved the times I sang your loss was mine. Who laid a line... Say you're like my kind. Oh, it's the same thing. But it's essentially this like strange little bit of lyrics that he turns around and pulls out one word and adds another and rearranges it. It, be- it becomes matter of fact given a little bit of time to sit with it, I think, but not immediately. in the mi- in, in the immediacy it, fa- it sounds like gibberish. It sounds because he's singing so long, the melodies are very, very slow. it just sounds like an utterance. but then you-, you take it at a glance and it's like, all right, wait, there's something there. there is something there. and there's beauty within that. I sang your loss was mine. Grammatically, it's correct.
0: I mean, you can't I, argue. I, I agree that there's beauty in it. I just, I think I also agree with John that the beauty is kind of lost on just a straight-up listen. You have to kind of look for it, strain to hear it, or actually read the lyrics. All right, let's go to track two, the title track. No, 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 no commas. I feel the need to address that. I mean, it's important, right? Wait, but would that make it not grammatically correct if it's just a bunch of nos? Would uh, the commas make it grammatically correct? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's more a of a title. An interjection. Everything's correct in a title. Uh, it's an sure. interjection. That's all it is.
1: It starts off
0: with, I want to call it a commercial. It, the intro is very kind of almost cutesy sounding. It sounds like a soundbite of a recording of what we actually get in the song.
2: It's similar to things he's done before. I, I rather love this intro. It's, it's sort of like the playful stuff we got almost back in uh, Banda Magda. Sounds like yeah. someone is making a recording of a recording, exactly. And, and you, then you get the recording. The actual recording that seems like that was what was being recorded
1: before, but now you get it. it
2: And what you get, get it. What I just said, I got it. Did you get it? it? Yes, I did. And I'm going to
1: explain it. What it goes into, this flow that it goes into, it's both deeper and smoother. It it becomes kitschy in the very beginning. Too, it it still waters. I guess is the best way to describe it. It, you just seem to once again like float along with what's going on though the movement i was getting in the first track is kind of missing here this is more of a bobbing i see
2: of. i see that the still waters thing I, I also goes in hand in hand with i, I believe this is the track he, he brought in the mellotron which is just so mellow cuz it's in the name and, and yeah come on It's 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 a little bit it's a little bit tried and true because it's kind of a basic chord progression i wish he almost went a little bit further with this the chord progression is basically AA, agg gff FCC CAA AGG CFED, and it, it just goes just around cycles. that same cycle and it's it's uh i don't know it it seems a little bit childish here i i kind of want a little more but it still seems like he's caught in the same uh in the same loop the same issues that he was in in the first track and this this track as far as i'm concerned persists with the mood
0: well yeah and then the looping doesn't just end with the instrumentation the lyrics do also I mean the chorus is just a series of la la la's Well I don't just mean looping I mean also like mental looping right like you're caught in
2: a little in a little region that you just can't escape and you want to but you, you the song won't let you your life won't let you and
0: what I'm saying is the lyrics reflect that because the lyrics do exactly that there is a chorus a verse then another chorus and then an identical verse it's There's la 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 well, that's, it's la 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 that's a that's, song for you that's what? But like the the verses are literally identical. The lyrics don't change from verse to verse. Like the delivery is the, the voice verse a second
2: time with the same lyrics. All right, let's put it out there. Don't know the first thing about who you are. My heart is waiting. Taken in from the start. If we don't go now, we won't get very far. Don't know the first thing
1: about who you are. Okay, hmm. yeah. That that's just too nondescript. And, <laughs> for and, me, in, <laughs> in this case. And, and the
0: verse is bracketed with the same line also, within the verse. Yeah. It's just, it feels very, and it's also, this is one of those verses where I feel like, okay, so you could have probably said nothing and conveyed the same thing. Like, there's nothing really conveyed here. My favorite thing about this track are the horns, and it's the first time well, we really sure, it. And
2: the horns are a really, the, you know, brass is a really big thing with Beirut. He's really, really amazing at, at, at writing for brass, at, at harmonizing the brass. And they come in and uh, a couple of trumpets just for this little solo on the minor pentatonic. It's it's really neat. It's it's even I think really more my favorite element than his vocals. It's still I do admit the track as a whole is kind of on the mellow side, and that wasn't like a really standoutish moment. This is the moment where I want to like refer to his previous work and say, "Come on, go for it with the brass. Don't just make it an element of the song. Make it about the song."
0: And while I like the brass, though, it almost felt a little superficial because it was just the only interesting thing in a sea of not. That interesting. So, to me, the, the brass almost felt um, like a gimmick in the song. I like it. I mean, it's I liked co- it's, no, no, no. Color. Garnish. Yeah, it was color. Garnish. Garnish. There you color. Go. Garnish. Same, same
2: shit as far as what we talked about. <laughs> but no, it's it's all color, no meat here. I think yeah. that's the main. problem. No, absolutely,
1: I agree. And it was the fact that I think the song really didn't know what it wanted to do. The the basis for the melody is there, but there really it's just a, there's an indecisiveness about this song that keeps it from being pushed in any one direction that like i said it was bobbing in deep seas there's deep seas here they're calm they have something to it there's but we don't really get to see underneath the waves we don't get to see what's down there what kind of expansion we're actually dealing with here it's just bobbing in place and that that's not something that's going to strike me i agree wholeheartedly and it's uh, it was unfortunately
2: for the first two tracks i wish there had been a little something extra at this point well let's see what we get
0: uh, in track three at once so here, the piano at the very start feels a lot more heartfelt. It's, it, it feels a lot more sincere, at least just the piano. And it's not long before brass comes in, too, here in this intro. Like, we get a nice kind of meaty intro
2: here. I believe it has something to do with the chord progression. Because we're not firmly in B-flat major here. You'd expect that from the chord progression. You get B-flat major, C major, A minor 7... F minor 7. Alright. Kind of interesting here, because he's he's putting a sharp on the 4, he's making the E flat and E, and it makes it feel like we're about to modulate on the A minor, but he he does keep it in sort of this round. It's still just those those, those four chords. That's okay. I, I still like that, that at least the loop that he chose is rather investing. You almost feel like in every single recurrence re- of that loop, it's about to move somewhere. So it's a, it's a strange hypnosis. But it's pretty old-school rhythmically. I mean, the heavy kick drum in the background makes it feel so weighted and so self-sterious. Uh, Matt, you mentioned before it sounded kind of like a heartbeat to you. Yeah. I, I feel like the, it's almost like something out of an off-Broadway musical, like, insert introspective moment of sadness amidst plot. But I'm, I'm relieved, at least considering the last Happy-Go-Lucky tracks, that, the, you know, this is at least pushing the boundaries a little bit.
1: That forcefulness in the percussion does more to get me invested than anything else so far on this album. Mm -hmm. Purely because there seems to be something there. There seems to be some sort of message there of a more integral feeling in the song as opposed to the kind of weightlessness we got in the previous two tracks. When you start adding in the horns and actually make them feel integral to the song. This was make the big them, moment. Yeah. Make them feel breathy and at the same time matching the depth of the percussion, that actually starts becoming beautiful. That, that does a lot for it.
2: Yeah, no, I agree that was probably the bigger moment than just the chord percussion itself. Because even that starts to get repetitive. But when the brass comes in, it's this is where this is that moment that I wanted earlier when I mentioned the brass in the last track. This is the dynamics of the brass comes in the harmonies comes in this is honestly where i feel most of the effort goes in in most of beirut is just harmonizing the brass cuz and even just performing the brass i mean obviously he achieves this synchronous flowing motion where one trumpet seems to overtake the other and it resonates really deeply with me it always has
0: yeah and and i do agree about the brass cuz be it- almost impossible not to all about that brass all about that brass and bass and whatever other instruments i'm Um, sorry continue (laughs) yes um but not to be devil's advocate but i will the rest of the song still doesn't have that much afterwards and by the end it still feels a little disconnected and blase almost like it goes back to what the beginning was no you're you're warranted and (laughs) and i feel like i just i don't get much of a connection and the lyrics also don't do much for it for me There are two
1: reasons why I think the vocals on this track was some of the worst on the album. One, the repetition of At Once, At Last, At All, is that's the core of the entire vocal song. That is the message right there. Gonna maybe disagree on that point, but what's your second thing? The reverb in the vocals, the echoing effect. This song... In every other aspect is extremely natural sounding. Everything is associated with the acoustic. yet there is a tinny metallic effect on the vocals that separates them dramatically, especially towards the end when everything cuts out and you just hear that uh,
0: vocal background like reverb that just really kills it for me. Also to note, uh, there are less than 50 words in the entire song lyrically. And, and that's, a lot of- that's, that's, that's a bit of a bummer <laughs> to me. Because, and, and uh, there aren't even 50 different words. There's probably only 30 different words or less. It's just very short verse after verse after verse after verse till we get to the outro lyrics. And it's t- another song where the words are here, but they're not saying anything. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to
2: elaborate because on one hand, I agree completely with you. On the other hand, I don't. Um figure that out. No, seriously, when it comes to lyrics, I, I am really defensive of this. It's very similar to the last track, where I do find Beauty in his his curt manner of delivery. Not curt as in rude, necessarily, but just it, it, it's a c- conciseness. How do you know at once, at last, at all? How do you find at once, if all, you find? There's a kind of... There's a kind of poetry in here, and it's abstract. I admit that. Yeah. But I, I, I see it. I see the, the, the sense of just putting little bits of words together. It almost portrays this kind of meekness. Like, he, he, there is no point. He's not in, in the stage where he can just divulge and explain. Because to divulge would admit that there is more passion, that there is more, that there is more weight to the problem. A lot of things are subtle, and I think that's a little bit more what this is about that doesn't mean that I like the repetition, but it does mean that I like the poetry. I think you were right on point when you said before that following the brass section, yeah, this goes right back to the same stuff as earlier, and it's like, all right, I'm kind of over that already. I had my my piece about the chord progression, but I'm I'm done. The fact is, this is just a single stanza on repeat, and does it have the impact to survive for the whole intro and the whole tail end? I don't know. The track's only two minutes. You gotta give it that point, and I don't wanna be too harsh about it, but there was, there was more here. I love the brass section, and I like other things
0: about it, but there was there could have been some irons in the fire. I just feel like, and also speaking to talking about the abstract lyrics, like most abstract art, though, it's one of those things where you either get it or you don't. There's not really anything to interpret here. It's either something that you're on board with and you really get and you're along for the ride or something that you go, well, I don't understand and move on. You yeah. know, it's there is nothing to really debate with these lyrics it's it's yes or no i think i'll bounce back to a john
2: point that little reverby thing that he did at the end where just kind of lingers and echoes yeah i don't think there was the weight of substance that warranted that i don't know i i didn't feel like i was completely in his
1: world and i think it was because of this little ternary structure of this track i yeah that's 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 really where it is it just doesn't feel like the connection was made between the author of the words and the creator of the music that it they just fall apart towards the end of it for me. All right, let's see what we get in track four. August Holland.
2: This honestly made me a little mad in the first few seconds. Because you know this. <laughs> tell me about it, Steve. No, what? Uh,
0: what? What really grinds your gears? I will tell you about
2: it. This was my bring-a-band week, and <laughs> you know, not a blind expiration for us all as we as we've had. And when you do that, when you do a bring bring my band week, then you want to show them in the in their element. You want to show sure. the band in their element, and this is just. With the first few seconds here, this sounded like this was going to be like a 1950s high school dance. I heard some, I heard some names thrown around, Roy Orbison, was that what you were thinking? I, I see it here. Yeah. That said, there is something in the chord progression that did start to work for me after a little while. It, I mean, it's, a, it's the repetition of the piano that I think is how I feel this 1950s high school dance thing. But let's look at the chords. C sharp major, F sharp major, G sharp minor, G sharp minor 7, B flat minor. E flat minor G sharp minor G sharp minor 7 and then it starts repeating that last section B flat minor E flat minor G sharp minor G sharp minor 7 this is strange maybe I'm talking gibberish but there's a weird (laughs) way for it actually to start off in that decisive C major C sharp major where you feel like this is going to be wholly, uh, wholly wholesome and he just introduces it only to take you away from it, once we start getting toward the middle there, when he moves up to, uh, down to G-sharp minor 7, where you feel a lot more t- weight and sadness, and then up to B-flat minor. And then that becomes, that second half of that intro, becomes more of the round. I think he does kind of throw it back briefly to C-sharp mi- major, but it's only in, in spurts. It's a very strange, again, that, that hypnosis feel. It's not it's not groundbreaking, but it's, it's hypnotizing in its way.
1: It actually works very well when you take the drawl in his vocals. Because otherwise, it would have been jaunty. It would have been fun with a hint of sadness. But having his long vocals on top of this uh, melody that's going on Mm -hmm. does a lot to to kind of put an even sharper turn on that kind of unsettling quality of the music itself. Yeah. Then he brings in the flute or clarinet or something like that. It's a little bit...
2: Trumpet, or maybe sit. I don't know. Okay, we're, it's we're weird five it's, instruments.
1: It's it's in that sort of range where it could be one woodwind, it could be one brass. It's it's not forceful enough to really identify it as an instrument, but it is. No, forceful. it was an instrument, <laughs> <laughs> a specific one. I got you. But it, it was enough so that you can feel. It was saying sad. It was saying sad very ambiguously, but it was working within the framework of everything else. It does a lot to actually impart a lot of emotion. That I really wasn't getting so far on this album.
2: No, I f- I feel you, and I think I think my only problem with this is I just wish he would expand on those ideas, ideas like what what John just mentioned. It's it's really it's really creative, I think, what he does here. But I want him to to kind of keep with it. I, composers sometimes have this tendency to introduce ideas only once, and I was taught that's not always the best idea. Show some stage presence, you know, bring it around or. or Something I know that's in direct contrast to what I said earlier when I say, oh, I, I don't ruin a good thing, but this is kind of different. I believe there are moments here where he achieves real, a real tenuous quality, a real uh, something of substance, and I believe he should bring it back. He should utilize it. He should expand on it. He should harmonize, add in that other instrument, go further.
1: But he does. He just doesn't do it with this uh, amorphous instrument that we can't really figure out. He brings it in with the bass. He brings it when With the acoustic guitar and the flair in the piano towards the outro. This this section really does become a lot of fun. Still a little bittersweet, but a lot of fun to listen to because of the flourishes
0: that are put on top of it. Because of now a, a contrast in the music itself. Yeah, but that said, I mean, truthfully, this song as a whole feels like marshmallow fluff. It's empty calories. There's stuff here that I can enjoy, but like anything, after a while, you get a little sick on it. I just, I feel like this isn't really going anywhere for me, and it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. Well, you get
2: some superimposition, like, for instance, it's replaced by a violin, and I think that kind of brings it out a little bit more. Yes. It's just the same melody, I feel, but it's a different instrument. And then, I don't know, it's one melody, it's very concise. I, I I, am starting to maybe see his goals with these tracks. Like, you just, in, in as a whole, you get one emotion. one, One goal, one emotion. You're not really given an arc. You're not really given a story here, and I believe that that is in direct contrast to what we're usually looking for. Um, but not every single track has to have that. It, it, they're little
0: bite-sized snippets of how he might feel in, in one moment. Not every track needs to have that, but some tracks need to have that. I agree. Uh, you know, not every one of them, but at least a few. Well, uh,
1: in an interview when this album was released, he did mention that this was more of a a scaffolding kind of an album. It's, it's a sort of album where he wanted to do bare bones. Uh. It's just that the bare bones of what's going on here so far... It's pretty bare. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of the meat that we just are craving on this album
2: you know there are other things as well apparently just for a little bit of uh history here uh, he went through some pretty rough times between this and the previous album there was a divorce there was hospitalization there were tough times i'll get more into this when i get to my my uh outro my monologue but this is i i i the question is always does is it justified because then this becomes more of a more of a removed art piece, the kind of as John said, a structure, the building blocks of what could be if you interpret this album as a,
0: as a as a mere surface window into his life. And I and I hear that, and I'm not one to judge somebody about going through tough times. I mean, that happens, but there are plenty of artists who've gone through horribly tough times and still come out with very intricate and interesting. But albums.
2: but I mean, the sense that it
0: represents him being taken oh, down a peg. Maybe okay, I can see that. I just still feel like. I need something else to connect me to that other than the structure of the album. I need a little more, whether it's emotional or lyrical or something else. I need more than just the structure. I'm not sold on what I'm
2: spitting out. Uh, But I I believe that was the concept here. Uh, So, I don't know. Just consider, I want to be there now. I want to be there now. This becomes the whole final refrain after having said, No, I lost the ramparts, and now I want to send back the sound. Watching the sunrise in Laos, why don't you turn back now? No, up where the air rushes out, I hear an endless sound. I want to be there now. I want to be there now. This constant, like, where he wants to be, and he's not there. He's not there, so why should the song be there? I believe that's the reasoning. It's just, it's it's tough from the listener's perspective for a lover of Beirut and what and what they know that uh,
0: Beirut can do. Let's go to track five, As Needed, which is an instrumental. So we get, from the minute the song starts, a really interesting bowing effect on the cello. Um, It pretty much starts the song with it. It's kind of got this warble to it that really resonates, that really gives a dimension to the track. I loved this. I absolutely loved this. This, to me, was
2: the track that introduced the meat, at least the musical meat. The cello does begin playing this D over and over and over as a kind of stage warming pedal. And then it's like the wait for it, like something's going to enter on stage. In the background, you have, well, actually, in the foreground, rather, you have the steel acoustic guitar with a, a sort of downward chromatic motion and harmonies created out from this pedal. It it sort of reminded me of Voce Sabe by As Mutantes, a track written back in 72, which I raved about um, in reference when we actually did As Mutantes on on episode 79, which was strange that I even had the opportunity to review As Mutantes because they were like on hiatus for something like 30 years, or it seemed like they were. But Voce Sabe, as far as I'm concerned, is the pinnacle of that band's career, and it was very, uh, they're Brazilian, and this almost has that Brazilian sound. You, You feel it in the, uh, in the the acoustic um, meshed with the cello. There's something in that duality which Aspictantes used to amazing avail. Well here, the chromatic motion, it's just in the guitars, B down to A flat down to A, and all that is pivoted against, pitched against the D, and it ends with A minor over that D pedal. Sort of this ninth chord without designation. It's not minor. It's not quite major because the 3 is absent. There's no F. There's no F sharp. So it's just a minor chord with a compelling sus 4, or you could view it as a ninth without a name. It's 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 beautiful.
1: That sets up a very sweet precedent for what comes next because there's a pause, and then we get piano and percussion, and then additional melancholy strings on top of it. And this is... It's the next stage. It is... It's almost disconnected, but it seems to have enough of the same identity that being a different melody, being a different style, it's a beautiful compliment. To what we just got? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was
2: completely set up. It was a. Pr- it, it's true. The whole intro is a, is the precedent for this, and it sets the precedent for this. And then at about 31 seconds, it dives in where we get some chromatic motion in the cellos instead, and that's why it sounds so deep, so this undercurrent, and it, it it's much darker. While the piano is now very steady, and then the violins come on top. And I absolutely was loving this up and down. Just these little short, almost incomplete phrases of sadness. No saving grace. No silver lining, unless. For you, the silver lining is actually the part in the beginning, part A, which it does inevitably return to. At about a minute 27, when it goes back to that section, the strings get progressively louder this time. And this whole track is really just
1: A, B, A, B. And the final B, though, had a a fall in the strings as it was progressing that really was dramatic while remaining low key remaining within the the framework that was already set up
2: yeah that was a pretty incredible section this this was um i mean it's the same section remember but yes there is that extra little added element and that's the uh the the scratching uh string the, the sort of scratching bowing that sounds like effect you get when it's really close to the bridge or maybe it's even below the bridge you know or it's just a light horsehair touch something that makes it sound almost out of tune or, or out of itself just very delicate hardly committing
0: what the the only thing I really have left to say about this track I feel like it's a backhanded compliment and I don't want to deliver it that way but it's like I felt engaged for the first time, really, on the album. And it's mostly because there was meat here that I couldn't really find on the other tracks. You know, I found myself drifting along with the instrumentation here and getting more wrapped up in it because there was just so much more to get wrapped up in. In the previous tracks, even with lyrics, there was nothing to really latch on to. I was grabbing at whatever I could get my hands on. Here, I felt there was more of a wealth of emotion and, and engagement and, and just interesting instrumentation that really kind of pulled me in.
1: Which is unusual because it feels like meek is the theme of this song. The, the Really being removed and being kind of in the background is, is kind of the nature of this song. Well, you know, I hard. did no, feel see, it.
2: That's the thing. I feel like meekness is really more the album and I think that's Uh, Matt's problem is that the rest of the album is so meek it just sort of glides as wallpaper music and then all of a sudden this track conveys a little bit more passion there are things that leap out um in both sections in fact just the move from one to the other and then I don't know it's almost like a it's it's a cycle that you'd expect in a more pivotal part of your life where you need to get serious sometimes and then finally step back and 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 approach it with a more of a level head, but it's the track. I do agree that that I think I would have just completely accepted, perhaps even loved, on any other Beirut album. And it does do a lot to elevate this album. It is just a very curious middle ground. I mean, we're we're basically in the heart of the album now. It's just the dead midpoint. And he chose this to be the instrumental and this to be the track where he does I don't know, kind of expose himself a little bit, which really makes me wonder about the title. As needed, as if this is some kind of, uh. Self-interjection. Yeah. Like, I don't
0: know. It's weird. Or maybe it's a self-aware comment on how this is an ad need as needed part of the album because of what is expected of Beirut. I don't know. I, I, mean, like... I mean, like he
2: is passionate when he needs to. When you need oh. to when, catharsis as needed, sure. or something.
0: I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it just and it just seems a little oddball for the album too, because no other track is really like this track. We, this I mean, there are things that come a little bit closer, but. We, this is the only track of its kind on the album for sure, especially with the lack, with this the lack of lyrics helps. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we couldn't help but focus on the instrumentation. There was nothing else besides it. Yeah. So
2: I mean, that's not the reason the instrumentation is awesome. No, but no, of certainly, not. I think it was helpful to just strip that element. I I I liked the release that this. I liked the catharsis if that was the intention. All right,
0: let's go to track six. Perth. Maybe after Australia? I don't know. Who knows? This track starts off very jaunty. It's kind of got a strut or a groove to it. Definitely more attitude than we've seen on this album. It's not attitude in the strongest sense. It's attitude with a very lowercase A. And it was one of those intros, one of those songs that I feel
1: very familiarized by. I feel like I, I know exactly what this may be stemming from. I just can't name the other location of this music.
2: Well, it's that keyboard sound. I forgot if this was the Meldotron or not, but it, it adds the lightest touch of funk. It's mm-hmm. like, and I do mean like lightest touch. It's like funk light, essentially. It, it's a two-chord system still through and through, but there's some movement here, especially after you add in the drums. They're just like shakers, shakers. I love that. And even the brass in the background is very reserved, very just light FM. I, I, I don't know. It, it's a strange, another kind of hypnosis that I, in, that I enjoy and I don't know if I should be enjoying it. I just know that this is at least more
0: fun. It has a more carefree element than previous tracks had. The other tracks had some of this kind of introspection and, and kind of self-thought. Where here, this just felt a little more carefree and floaty and kind of out and above. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, again, I'm getting a little more engaged than the first handful of tracks on the album. But that said, again we're still a little repetitive here you know they're not really breaking the mold
1: that much and my big issue is that the vocals were saying something that ended up that ended up losing all meaning in this case for me because the vocals became a timing mechanism to measure the length of the song otherwise it's so difficult to figure out how many times you've gone through the same beat over and over again there are horns, There, there is a bass, there is a, a, a more playful piano that steps in, but whenever the words are being sung, they just drone, and it's so in line with the rest of what's going on, that it just feels like there's there's just no blips going, it's just a repetitive over and over again the looping here is so strong and i love the words i enjoy the words there's context and content here that i just don't really see well, unless I, the I, I the, think, the songs. i think that the one thing ironically that brings the singer
2: more into the forefront for me is the fact that is the fact that his vocals are so distant in 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 a sense like like the distance is strange for the song and and you think that's odd, but it becomes central in some way. So I, I was a little bit less critical of that, but I was critical of the song as a whole, simply because of that thing I mentioned in the beginning, the whole funk light concept. Like, I don't know, I... Pick a direction. I'm looking at the lyrics themselves. Not of this world, lean as a shadow. I was in Perth when I was gathered. Blood on the sand, paint on the water. I skipped around asking for you. Last night I combed the earth. You saw me at my worst. Ragged tires burning for miles. I ran until it hurt. Reasons come seasonal. I'll tell you when I know. See you in an hour. An hour back home. I actually think words are really, really solid. The only problem is, of course, the fact that they do have that little distant element. I think it helps. I think it actually helps the track. But there is the fact that the, the, the music is a little bit in conflict here. Because... This is, this is but, again, he's at his wits end, but it's so drony
1: I didn't hear the words. I heard, I heard a, them a kind of it becomes a baseline effect for the rest of the song. It just uh, it's a blanket on top of the rest of the of what's going on. It doesn't really impact any of the meaning behind oh. these words. Well, I I it's an audible discrepancy.
0: I feel like audibleness has nothing to do with anything <laughs> because even being able to hear the lyrics like I could, I still had the same effect John did because I felt none of the impact hearing the words. You know, they just didn't have the same impact and power that the music was conveying I, and was overpowering. So we're all arguing kind of the same point, but for different reasons. Sure. I think is
2: the, the subtly different reasons is why we have issues. I just, for me, it's the dis, it's the it's the contrast between the music and the lyrics. I think the music individually has it has something to offer. The lyrics individually have something to offer, but when they're married together, there's something missing. There's something
0: missing in this fusion. Let's try uh, track seven, Pacheco. Pachiko. So this one feels the slowest of the bunch. It's very subdued. It's, uh, it's a departure, I thought, <laughs> from the rest
1: of the, the album emotionally. It felt like a real downturn, but... It brings
2: back a little bit of that, I mean, not funk really, but it, it actually begins almost like a 70s Motown ballad. There's the keyboard here again, and in this keyboard you almost hear a little bit of Billy Preston. I mean, there's only one problem with it, is that the track is literally dragging itself along, and it's painfully obvious that it's dragging itself along. There's almost a sway to this, but I think he's denying us even that sway. There's there's more jerkiness than there is sway. It halts itself. Between the drums and the keyboard, it's holding itself back from the obvious choices, which is go out full Billy Preston. It already sounds like Billy Preston. There are little hints, little melodic hints, little uh, harmonic hints that he's going to go in that direction. It would be odd for Beirut, but I don't care. I love Billy Preston. So instead, you're just left wondering what else he's going to do. Maybe some fancier drum work, something else to really put it in that territory. You know that he's got all of these these possibilities at his fingertips. Uh, he's cut a range of really talented instrumentalists, but apart from a little reverb, the the song isn't terribly well blended. It's it's
1: purposely evading us. That's why it's not a sway. It's a teeter totter. It's just bouncing back and forth between the two ideas. It's not. <laughs> and that makes it okay. <laughs> well, no, it's it doesn't. And it's no, I know because I, I'm choosing that because it's it's childish in that way. When the next layer of a percussion comes in, that is not. That's not a pickup, when you just add in an extra little snare on top of something like that. That is merely just another noise of going back and forth. That's all it does. There's no layering. Everything ends up supporting a melody that's just non-existent in this song.
0: Six. No? Six is the number of different words in the entire song. It's better than ten, which was the earlier count. Six different words. This is
2: not a problem for me. I really, I, I must stress that.
0: It's a problem for me when there's also no no emotion behind the way the lyrics are delivered. I just don't get an impact. I, look, all kidding aside, having the same words or not a variety of words in a track are not a problem. I've listened to plenty of stuff that didn't have a ton of variety. The problem here is also that so few words are saying even less. That's my big problem, is that you have so few words and you're saying less with them. You're, there's... I just don't feel a passion behind it. Also, there's this weird thing with the instrumentation on in this track where it almost feels off-tempo, which is just throwing everything else out of whack. That comes a little
2: later, but yeah. I, I, yeah, I just... pulling, this, pulling this back, though, I, I want to stress that he is holding himself back from the obvious choices. Because you know that all the tools are here, why doesn't he go all out? And this is why I'm almost a little bit fascinated by this track. I am not saying that I necessarily enjoy it, but I I believe there is some concerted effort to make this track what it was, and it's really curious to me. The vocals, for instance, they can be very swelling, even the background vocalists, but also sort of static at the same time, I agree with that. It's weird, it's like he wants to convey passion, but I think he's beaten. Overall, it's an exercise, an interesting exercise in listlessness. And I say exercise because this is too concerted. Like I said, obvious choices were just ignored here. There's a deliberate attempt to keep this song crawling on the floor. You don't have to like it, I think, to at least
1: find it interesting. But, and this is the big but, being non committal is not the same thing for me as being edgy or being interesting. It's just not committing. That's all he's no, doing. No, they're here. not the same thing. That's the point. But but for me, it's just he refuses to go in any one direction. It's that indecisiveness that means he he didn't want to do it. Okay, I get that. But that that lack of drive to do something bigger here is so glaring and so unsubstantial that there's nothing for me to really latch onto. Well, I just want to address those six words.
2: How long? Just so I know. That's it. How how long how long how long just so I know, it sounds like he's really waiting for death here. I don't know. This is what I get, and I, it seems like a kind of purgatory. I I I I know this is there. He he delivers us so few content, so little content. This is your point, Matt. That that this is all just just speculation, complete speculation. But to go back to the other thing you said, the the tail end, the end that is perhaps the most fascinating part to me because he chooses to sort of set it off rhythmically. Like, it falls out of tempo. It's so strange. It, it it evades substance of any kind. There's this jerkiness that was present earlier, and now all of a sudden, at the tail end, becomes more exaggerated. It's like the track is slowing down. And I can't say for sure whether it actually it is, but it does sound like it's dying, which takes me back to those lyrics. How long? How long? Just so I know. But there's so little just, context. It's like, it could... To me, that's all the context that you require. All right? How long? Just so I know. Think about it. Like that's the old question. Well, if you knew the day you were gonna die, what would you do? What would you do with it? Some people would say, "Oh, well, that would terrify me. I wouldn't be able to like get in the zone." And other people would say, "No, that would be really that would be really helpful. Be helpful so I know my time limit. Be helpful so I don't screw up, <laughs> you know, or, or blow the day away. I I know that that's going to be a certain percentage."
0: I guess. I mean, I, I'm not refuting what you see. I mean, I can see where you're getting it from. I just feel like I needed more to confirm that. Like, I mean, saying how long, how long, you know... Uh, you could be asking, when's a relationship going to end? When are you going to get out of a dead-end marriage? When are you going to see someone you miss again? Someone else who died? How long till you'll see them again? I don't believe it's a reach, to be honest. I, no, I, it's not a reach. I, the only question mark is Pacheco. I don't know who Pacheco is. I think
2: it's a. I think it's a name. I don't believe it's a place. One of his rare moments where he actually decides to use a name instead of a place
1: name and that argument matt honestly is to its credit keeping it in that sort of nebulous realm of you're questioning it it's just that it's to me it still remains that teeter-totter back and forth between not knowing what to do and that is just just too weak for me to support that metaphor he's going for musically i'm inclined to say you're right it's pretty crappy
2: (laughs) but i just i don't know i'm I am, in, I am so drawn in to this idea and the reasoning behind it, because I know what he does, I know what he's capable of doing. So, I, I just, this is one of those issues where I want to throw in the benefit of the doubt. We do it a lot, we do it to, to many albums, and this is, I don't know, he's throwing me something. He's extending an arm, and I think I see what it is. So, I'll, I'll throw in that benefit of the doubt. Let's try track 8, Fener, or Fener, uh, it's a neighborhood in Istanbul. So now we are is not, back to place names, which is not Constantinople. We've had this it's not, discussion. It's not
0: Byzantium either. What's your point? <laughs> All right, Trek well, uh, eight Fenner. <laughs> so uh, the the piano the piano is so regular at this point. Like it's a regular progression. It's it's just shifting notes but in a very orderly samey way like i'm just getting i got so distracted by the piano i just started writing bump 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 just emulating the, the kind of f- impact it was having. i will admit it's
2: consistent <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes that's, that's a sad. that's a um a neutral way of
2: putting it. No, i admit it. i'm well, a
1: little at a, at a loss with this one it's a very basic chord cycle there is a distinguishing feature here I noticed, and that was the vocals taking a more character-oriented role. Yes, actually, I sure. will agree with that. That's it, and even even uh, apart from the background
2: vocalists, which really helped the the primary vocalist, Zach Condon himself, has a very distinctive melody here. Melodies that have been lacking overall. You don't really get melodies. You you can't really build that much of a melody out of how long, how long. Just so I know. Um, it, mostly it's just been snippets. But here, it's very distinctive, it's more what I'm used to with his work. And then, the vocal harmonies on top of it are very strong as well. They come in with some, uh, it sounded almost like 11th chords, these barest moments of real passion, just plastered against, um, against a, a piano rock backdrop at best. And you get some nice syncopation, and here's this nice syncopated synth I really enjoyed. And then, starting at around, I believe it was 1 minute 50 seconds, this track takes a pretty weird turn. A distinct tempo shift. Now, this is not what I, what I kind of saw in the last track, where I was like, is it slowing down? I can't really tell, or is it just the jerkiness that's exaggerated? No, this is a tempo shift, which is odd for tracks. Time changes Time changes are actually a lot more normal, but tempo shifts are, are strange. Total slowdown into a slow jam, and suddenly it becomes a little bit more Ben Folds-y in a sense, if it was just a Ben Folds reduction, and then the synth melody takes over. Something very 80s, almost PBS to me.
1: I almost kind of enjoyed the section, but it was a odd turn. There's no real lead showing up instrumentally in this track in either section, so the through line wasn't really there from A to B. That was a that was a little bit unusual. The second part, it becomes uh, sort of that commercial. You're supposed to hear a jingle style. For me, it 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 was almost earwormy, but not enough for me to latch onto it. It was almost something that I wanted to hear while shopping, so I could, you know, groove along to it, I will give you that. That was shirt. because of but that. But it
2: just wasn't there for me. It was because of that synth melody. Yeah. And I see that commercial vibe, uh... You mentioned something earlier. You feel like you were playing like Farmville or something.
1: That was yeah. Okay, that's that was my rant while we were listening. It wasn't. It wasn't even the level of commercialization that's gonna get me to buy a product. It's the sort of tune you hear while playing Farmville, so that you go and annoy your friends with invites and something like that. It was that level of I'm automatically canceling the music because I can't listen to it for 45 minutes while I'm playing with my farms. That level. Is not a good level to be sitting in, but
2: not only that descri- only does much to describe I think a lot of elements in this track which i uh, of this album, excuse me, which were, were perhaps written to be a kind of background music or at least could function that way um i again, I think his his motives were a little bit were a little bit deeper, but you do have to take that leap of faith. um I actually kind of enjoyed this song, to be honest. I think it's better in headphones when you can pick out those harmonies. Um, but it's 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 still deadened in its way. It has the same stuff that we've been saying. I mean, not everyone loves PBS
0: from the 80s. I do, though. But I'm, I'm better. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know. I just feel like with this track at this point, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Jo- only because I don't want to repeat myself. And in the past, we have repeated ourselves. It's just... The weird shift aside, which, again, was just weird because of the tempo change and because it just seemed a little off, especially considering how the rest of the album had gone, I wasn't that into this track before the tempo change. The tempo change kind of pulled my interest because it was different, it was attention-getting. But then after that, I still felt myself kind of sliding back into how I felt about the song in the first half, you know. Yeah, no, he doesn't
2: use it to really do anything different beyond that different thing. It
0: wasn't wasn't a record scratch. They didn't break the mold of what this album is trying to do. And we've talked about this, and I can go into it more when we start wrapping things up. But, like, if you're intentionally doing something very bare... It's an artistic choice, but does that make it a good choice? You know, and that kind of a thing. Well, he sings, certainly I do recall
2: staring down sunrise to sunfall. Don't forget why, don't forget waiting for it all. We were then old, telling the sickness to take hold. I had to know,
0: I had to know where you had gone. The lyrics here I feel like are... Okay, I mean, I... I, (laughs) Those are words. I mean... I don't know. I I I feel more... They move me in a way. I feel... um, No. What I meant to say is that I feel like there's more here in the lyrics than there had been in previous songs. I mean, even with some repetition, which this is clearly what they're doing in this album, is keeping it on a somewhat basic level and repeating for emphasis. I'm getting the emphasis here, at least. There is an impact from the lyrics that I'm getting here. To me, to be perfectly honest, I think
2: it just strengthens my point last song about the, the... subject of death. Yeah. The subject of waiting. We were then old, telling the sickness to take hold. I had to know. I had to know where you had gone. Well, where did she go? <laughs> I mean, this is the basic concept. Like, it's like he's just pivoting what he started in his own fears about death in the last track, and now he's just pinning it on another person, telling the sickness to take hold. Well, that's usually how everyone goes in the end. And then, obviously, the whole sunrise to sunfall, pretty obvious metaphor there. That I don't know. It's... I just... Everyone wants more to the story. I just don't know if there's more to this story. Is there any more to the story of, of we're gonna die? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, and, and while, yes, the concept itself of death at its core can be very simple and basic, still you want a little more background to it. You know, no one wants to just hear somebody die. Usually you want to know how or what happened or when or where. Yeah, but that's not always how life is. No, no of fact, course not. In fact, it's usually not. True. I mean, there's not always an explanation. I don't know. I just, I feel like at other points we're grasping at straws, and at other points there aren't even any straws to grasp at.
2: I mean, you could see my overall point yeah, absolutely. with this album.
0: I, I, sure. I It's
2: really just, at that point it becomes a question of musical taste, and and how much you're willing to, I don't know, reach out toward his his olive branch or whatever. Whatever he's trying to throw at you, I think it is a kind of thematic art piece, and we've had this... We've been in this ballpark many times. Art versus, well, just raw enjoyment. It's not going to put chills on your spine. Maybe that's the problem.
0: I mean, I get that. And as we go into track nine, I just want to say, I feel like still you have to take a good long look at what this band's capable of knowing that and what they delivered. Yes. Anyway, track nine, the final track on the album, So Aloud. Um, something a little different here is that the, um, the cadence and the, the kind of tempo of this track reminiscent of a waltz, Called it waltzy. Well, it's not reminiscent. It's a waltz. Oh, it is straight waltz. up waltz. Well, then there you go. Yeah, you can
2: kind of zone out to this one as well. It's a kinda, it's another swaying track. His vocals have some has some feeling behind them here. Um, something that really reaches out. The string glissando. This was really neat. This is the first thing that they really for again one of the first times they really like show some passion. Well, a few other times too. But there's some conflict maybe in this. The the passing slides do clash with everything, even if it's only briefly. Also, the accordion drones in the middle, they make it so that the space between the verses feels, by contrast, very snuffed out. And then finally letting it burst out with the return, the expansion of the chorus around like 2 minutes 20 seconds, I think that was fairly strong.
0: I like the dissonance kind of that the strings give as well on this track. You know, the brass is here again, of course, too, which, as we all pretty much agree unanimously, is some of the best things that they do in their tracks. But again... Even with the accordion coming in for the only time on the whole album and the brass in the song, it's still, while they stand out, feel almost gimmicky because they're just kind of there. They're not, they're not there a lot. They're just here and there. It does pick up, but it's like,
1: okay, bad metaphor time, children. It's a moped shifting from first to second gear. There's nothing going on here. Mopeds don't have gearboxes, do they? Exactly. It's only going (laughs) at the end of it when it's really picking up. When the brass comes in, it's still doing 20 and a 50. It's still not racing along right here. It's puttering along. And as a final track to be puttering along, and this is like the, the crescendo, it's so unimpactful.
2: The brass ushers in some drama, but even it feels kind of constrained. And then the whole syncopation, kind of hit or miss. You do need some more character, and character is obviously what this is lacking. I won't beat this to death, except to, I'll I'll read these lyrics. Under the sun sleeping, so we'd rehearse evenings. It was in every word, somehow. And I was, in return, so allowed. How we began to see things, seems in reverse sweeping. It was in every word somehow, and I in return, so aloud. I want to say you're mine. Oh, I want to say you're mine. I want to say you're mine. Oh, I want to say you're mine. And that's uh, the end of the song. I. It's really painful because the lyrics, and this is where I go back to the earliest point uh, that, that you made, John. Maybe you weren't feeling these lyrics so much. I believe that the delivery is kind of what makes it, and his, his turn of phrase is really what kind of makes it. And at least... What it does is make you wonder. Uh, in in his turn of phrase, it makes you wonder why he is so beaten that he can't just say what he means. Well, I've never really known Zach Condon to flat out say what he means. Um, but it's not the same case that you find in like uh, oh yeah, you know, being evasive is not necessarily being poetic. Here, I think it's a little bit different. It, it's it's minimalism. Yes. I, it's a
1: kind of vocal, a kind of lyrical minimalism. The whole album really is minimalism. When you get down to it, that's what the attempt was here. But instead of being minimalistic, it felt emaciated. It felt skeletal. And I know in the the interviews when he was talking about it, he wanted to go for bare bones. Well, these bones are too bare for me. <laughs> that's that's the end of the day. How it
2: is. I think that too is the point. That I don't know. Bones are too bare, and life, frankly, is too bare. Sometimes you don't have a grand story to tell, and maybe that's the story. I know we already had our big discussion about meta stuff last week here, but that, this is— and I'm not using this as a point necessarily to up this album really, really high. Musically, this is very weak for me, and it is a little bit heartbreaking, considering, again, what I know he can do and what his instrumentalists can do, and it's just—it's painful. It's, it's painful, but
1: I think he's going through some pain. I think that's evident. But I don't go to music for this kind of dour idea that seems to have been propagated. And in maybe the that's album. the thing, and that's probably what. what I go I'm to music to. for the enjoyment I get out of it. Whether that enjoyment is actually being angry or sad or fearful, that's one thing. That, yeah, I'm not happy go lucky, but that's an, an emotion you can really latch on to. The stories, yes, minimalism is great, but. You can get stories with no lyrics, you can, you can still see that, but having something that feels like the basis for an album that's getting thrown on top of it is something different. I, I need meat. That's the end of the day, what I need for this album. Meat, yes. meat,
0: meat. Oh, go, go, go.
1: Well, there's moments, I will give it that, there's moments of these album uh, on this album that really are approaching beautiful. But they are amazingly fleeting in a droning mess at the end of the day. Track five, as needed, cool. Borderline awesome. It really was, for a round, for something that's just as an ABABA, great. It really, it spoke to me. But it was also the most fleshed out of all the tracks on the album. It was the most intricate of all the tracks on the album. And at the end of the day, it's still not really that five-star song. It was just I feel like it was that last little chunk of meat on the bone I've been gnawing on for half an hour. That's not great. It, it it's 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 gristle. Yeah. So, for this album, <laughs> I don't know how upset I really am, but it's a 2. It's a 2-star album. It really The melodies that would be put on top of this could be amazing. And I know Beirut can do better. We even sampled some other stuff that was, frankly, phenomenal. But it's just missing the stuff that would have made it phenomenal at the end of the day.
0: This is going to be a struggle for me. Something I want to bring up, just for perspective for myself mostly, and for the listeners, because sometimes we do refer to other albums we've rated at a certain level. The lowest... Rating I think I've given this year was at the very start of the year I gave um, Fallout Boy's new album a two American Psycho it was Amer- what was it American Beauty American Psycho I gave it a two I still hear just the first line of Centuries and I'm singing it to myself for days because I cannot get that song in my head that doesn't make it good it just makes it memorable anyway. I don't, don't, don't give a precursor to my end of year review spoilers <laughs> right? But, but so I just I need that perspective because sometimes when we know an album to our, in our hearts is not we're not happy with it I need perspective like why did I, why did I tank some other albums and I'm not going to tank this completely that said there's a problem here I'm not going to go into the same details John did I'm going to try and keep it succinct and quick but I am missing something here I have no problem with mellow albums. I have no problem with bare bones albums. I mean, again, I fought tooth and nail to defend um, Everlast's acoustic album and that album was very bare bones also. But there was more emotion there. There was feelings I was getting from his vocals, from the words, I could hear the words or I better interpreted the words. That said, it was easier for me to defend something that didn't have a lot. Here, it's harder because at first I told Steve when we were chatting pre-show about it That I felt it was a mindless enjoyment to this Which is fair to say You know, there you don't have to do too much heavy thinking To still get the gist of the instrumentation To this record But I don't even know if I can call it mindless enjoyment Anymore because upon subsequent listens Since I find that I'm not really Loving it, you know, it's okay I, I, I really like track 5 I think we're all in agreement, track 5 is really great <laughs> Especially for the record But beyond that Nothing stands out, and emotion? Sure nothing uh, I think the more than the nothing okay something <laughs> something stand out, but no tracks stand out no yes, other tracks yes, stand out yes there are moments that stand out but you know emotionally there's a lot of blase amidst this you know heartbreak and 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 struggle and I just I don't feel the heartbreak and struggle that much um, there are no songs I'm really gonna go back to except maybe as needed and even then it's just. Especially considering what I what Steve played for me by Beirut from, from their older stuff for reference I for I reference, played
2: a couple of tracks from Flying Club Cup a couple of favorites of mine in the Mausoleum and Clequot uh, really but but even for point of reference standout track
0: it's like you had when we were tanking Green Day you had point of reference of um, of American Idiot which is hailed as one of their most evolved albums and you agreed that as as far as their work's concerned it was the one you remembered best and that you liked best. Marginally. With this, the problem is I know they're capable of more, but I also know he wanted to do more bare bones stuff. I just I needed more. If you're going to take an arty route and, and intentionally make it bare bones, give me something. Throw me a bone if you will. So your argument is that if you're going to do a bare bones album, give me bones. Yeah, I I want <laughs> No, my argument is I want Something even a bare bones album still has to have a defining quality. This album has no defining quality. If you could name this album in one word, what would it be? No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> one it's, word. <laughs> it's just that's my biggest problem. Is that a lot of other bare bones records? I can still define it by an emotion or a, or 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 you know a topic or something. That's and something not evocative. Desolation. It's just Unknown. not. Unknown. I mean, there's not even a strong setting for me. So for me. I'm not too far afield from John. I don't think I can tank it lower than Fallout Boy because still Fallout Boy is a bunch of jackasses who barely know how to play music at this point, who've done better stuff in their past. But I can't do it much higher. I think I'll give it a 2.1 just based on the fact that I appreciate that he's doing something that's true to him. And I don't want to... it's not below a 2, but it's not much higher than 2.1 because I can't bring it towards average because I just feel like this is less than average. So the number is? 2.1.
2: Art does not come with footnotes. You can't expect art to come with footnotes. That's why I went generally most of this album without really saying what happened, and I will only describe what happened... Through the lens of a uh, Consequence of Sounds review, um, it's pretty interesting. The very first paragraph here. In the four years since Beirut's album The Riptide, frontman Zach Condon watched his life crumble. Writer's block clouded his mind, mental and physical exhaustion saw him hospitalized, and he got divorced. For a man so full of life, with a voice that longed to detail its beauty, that toll became monumental. No, no, no can barely mask his pain. While it waltzes through the usual Beirut indications, warm trumpet, loaded sighs, parade percussions, lush harmonies, it lacks the world music air of their outdoor live sets, of their storytelling, of their spirit. In simpler words, life happened, and in many ways, life won. I thought that was rather... Rather brilliant writing. Um, It's an interesting perspective, which I think we've been kind of dancing around, and I'm not taking after consequence of sound, but this was very apparent to me in the lyrics, and the second I read this, and at least found what had happened to him, which is obviously a combination of things, not just hospitalization. We've actually dealt with um, artists who have had near-death experiences before. Uh, It's not just divorce, obviously. We've had all too many of those, or breakups, what have you. Um, But add in writer's block and all this other stuff that artists, only artists have to deal with, uh, it's a lot to happen at one time and everyone knows the idea of at least getting getting a little bit too overwhelmed by life Absolutely, life doesn't agree and choose when it hands you certain challenges but that's not that's not an excuse for the work that's merely his concept of going into this work and that's how I take it personally to me that's a rather interesting theme the concept of life-winning and sometimes you just can't be who you want to be you can't produce what you want to produce and this album actually explores that now that just that means bupkis for anyone who wants music you know <laughs> right, I'm, she's of bupkis so i yeah, appreciate bupkis. that it means bub. it really does for anyone who just wants i want a great album then that doesn't mean anything to them well you should have stepped up your game but this is what i am going to say i believe that this album banked on its discography in other words, you couldn't take this album alone. You couldn't just drop this as a debut album and expect it, it would have been forgotten. It, it, people would have taken this album and really just would have wondered what the hell to do with it, you know? It, they wouldn't have seen the art behind it, because you can only see the art with respect to what you know Beirut can do. That's uh, That's a tough one, because that means you're doing art within the confines of your greater art, which one might see as their discography. Ugh. <laughs> That's that requires a big leap of faith, and I'm not I'm not quite quite ready to give it. But I will say I am a little bit moved by at least the position that he was in and the the, the balls it took even to release something like this. I believe you can only release one album like this in a lifetime, and certainly maybe maybe in in uh, musicology in general. Uh, for that alone, I may give this the benefit of the doubt and and push it to a three. I think it's barely, barely an average album once you take in those lyrics and when you take into account what he's trying to do with relationship to discography. It's the only time I might make that concession to say that the footnote is everything. And he he expects you to know, and he implies it every step of the way. So, for that alone, it's a three. Musically, I'm I'm a little torn. But that's where it is.
0: I mean, that's not unreasonable to do. And also... You're go- you, specifically Steve, are going to have a little bit of rose-colored glasses. Cause you love the band and you know what they're capable of. And you're finding stuff in it that, that someone I'm, who I'm, just shows up to it may not find. And I'm
2: using that in this particular sure. case. Because, again, if discography is important, then my love for the band is important.
0: I mean, it's been a rough year for you and you're the bands you like. I mean, TV on the radio really let you down, too. So. Uh,
2: killing me here. Yeah. Hey, that is why I, I, I've gone into a lot of albums blindly lately. But, sure. you know, it, it's not... It's not the end of the world. We have a lot of discussions that will tear down things we
0: love and also build up things we never expected to love. I mean, that's that's the whole point of the show, I think, in, in, in the broadest of senses. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, though, in reference to this album and more in music in general, we've talked about lyrics before, at length. Um, at length of long lyrics. Um, <laughs> no, there's no other joke there, but I was trying. I was getting there. Yeah, right, it's so. um, But I want to talk a little bit about how... We've talked about inflection and how you deliver lyrics, but I want to talk about, you know, having impactful lyrics, you know, that are in the forefront versus having lyrics that kind of fade into the background and become instrumentation. And we've touched on that part a little bit but I want to talk about the dichotomy between both. Is one clearly better than the other? Does one clearly deliver a message better than the other? Because we've often talked about instrumentation with just audible noises by a vocalist that convey a clearer emotion than some songs with very intricate lyrics. So I'm curious if, if one is really better than the other. I mean, obviously the short answer is no, but I want to get into why we think one might be. Well, the, the
1: starting point in this is is the, the type of music that the lyrics are being paired to. Because that does a lot to dictate whether or not a vocalist will be in front or or uh, towards more of the musical end. The Also, the quality of the vocalists themselves, not necessarily whether or not they're great singers, but how they use their range and how they use their inflection is going to give vocalists the leanings one or the other. And that's where you get into the nitty-gritty. When you start listening to death metal there's only so much you could do to make the vocals in front of the music itself that where before it becomes the only thing you can really deal with it's just the nature of the the genre itself at the same time when you have an, uh, an acoustic setting of a guy and a guitar it's hard not to hear his vocal work being played when there's only the guitar to back up it or in contrast to try to overpower it. There's nothing you can really do in this case. When you start talking about masterful vocalists or at least the interesting ones, one of my favorite modest Mouse, you can't, you can't put his vocals in the background just because he's too animated for it and it comes across in the music itself. It gets that kind of esoteric message that's the the bread and butter of modest mouse in the forefront it gets the unusual ideas that they're going to present to you or the weird turn of phrase because just the way he's singing you can't hold it back with the music itself you can't hold it back in any way i mean can or can't
2: is is really left open i, mean, I would really no, i would argue can't. you can't uh, yeah, all right but maybe that's some rose colored glasses on your part I think it's a question of really how awesome is your wallpaper like when you're standing <laughs> in a row is this 1995 and things are just it's busy man because if it's busy you can't ignore it you really can't ignore the fact that the lyrics or the vocals themselves are just another little strand maybe they're the color that leaps out in your wallpaper but musical wallpaper in general as far as we've used it not a terribly complimentary thing we're not you. you want to be into your music you want to be involved you want to you want to make it a part of your soul, I don't know. It, it's, that's, that is a lot to a lot of people, but it is not everything. I do believe that there is something to be said for background music, and we've always made this concession for things that just kind of glide along, and they, they, they serve a particular mood, and they maybe even enhance that particular mood. And they don't have to be terribly busy for that, and especially if you're, if you're honing in on lyrics and, and honing in on vocals, then yeah, it shouldn't be too out in the open, because then you could literally drown out the mood.
0: Well, I feel like for me personally also, if I'm listening to something that's very lyrically driven and lyrics are in the forefront, say a musical, say Hamilton, which I've been listening to a lot, it's very hard to do any writing, write an email at work while listening to something very story and lyric driven because I'm hearing the story and I'm the kind of person, if someone's talking to me while I'm typing, I might start typing what I'm talking about. Mm. So I I can't separate that. But if I'm listening to something a little more wallpapery, like this album... Not all of its wallpapery, but the songs that were kind of wallpapery with not strong lyrics, I was able to do multitask with because it didn't require a lot of my brain to process while I was listening.
1: Well, that's because the, mu- the the vocals were primarily an instrument in this album. It wasn't until the last two songs that I really saw them developing their own character, which is weird because that was kind of the death of the character itself. I don't know if you can you can argue something like that, but anyway, when you start relying on the the content you have to start backing it up with more force, in my opinion, at least. When there, you're trying to say something that you find to be dramatically important, especially when you start getting into complicated lyrics, not just you know haiku styles where it's just pointed and short, but true storytelling. Having those vocals take a backseat, having them blend in with everything else, is going to kill any story you're
0: going to try to produce here. I just. I don't know. I feel like it, the way you're phrasing it, John, and maybe it's just the way you're phrasing it, it seems too cut and dry for me. I don't feel like it's just that simple because I feel like also we found plenty of musically driven songs that had lyrics in it that added to the story even the lyrics themselves didn't stand out. Of course, I'm at a loss to think of something specific at this moment, though it may come to me. I feel like that what lyrics can do especially when functioning either in the background or in the foreground depending on the messaging is convey an emotion even if it's a subtle or subliminal emotion and we've uh, Steve has cited many a time that the music got him to a certain emotional place and then upon reflection of the lyrics and their poetry also got him to that same place but he didn't necessarily notice that from the lyrics but it could have been a subliminal inclination when listening to the music and lyrics a good kind point. of got in your head as well.
2: That's a good point. That's something we we actually don't talk about a lot, subliminal effect, because it's hard to measure that kind of thing. You can't. Once, once it's been done, then you just reacted in some way, and then you have to, you know, reach deep down into your internal hard drive to figure out why. Why? Why did that little flowchart take place? And you can't always say. Um, I, will, I will amend my earlier statement, or at least play devil's advocate to it, when I was talking about musical wallpaper, is uh, I think I'm the kind of person where... If I'm listening to music, to musical wallpaper, I will actually find myself becoming more invested in it. Which is why I don't listen to a lot of wallpaper in general. Because I figure, like, if I'm going to be drawn in, then I can't, I can't experience what you're experiencing, Matt. I can't have that phone call because I'm because I'm the same way. I can't do what you're saying. That's my point. Yeah. Because I'm the same way. Uh, in that I would be so easily distracted. I'd be distracted by something that was entirely active, and I would be distracted by something even that was passive. Which is why, in general, when I'm typing, when I'm writing, oh, it's silence. Absolute silence. Because otherwise, I'll be drawn in. I'll find something. Maybe you could argue this is almost what I did today, Well, you could also argue that's subliminal. But I will probably find something even in the passive music. Doesn't mean that I'm head over heels, because I would normally choose that if I was in an active listening session, I'm going to go for something that is a little more in your face, regardless of the the fashion he chooses to approach it.
1: But when you start talking about what the song or album is supposed to convey from the artistic standpoint, certain trends do come out. When you start talking about violence, I mean, there's there's very little you can do about being passive about violence. It's violence. That's what it is. It's abrupt. It's painful. It's supposed to be full of rage and fear and anger and all that sort of stuff. It depends on your perspective. What if you're helpless? Well, but that's not
2: violence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... Helpless in the face of violence? I think you you very well could
1: use that to your advantage. But that is a different sort of an idea. That's, that's a, a more reaction to it as opposed to perpetrating it but it's the same thing really but
0: it's the other side of the same violence if you're someone who's helpless or 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 overwhelmed or or completely destroyed by said violence there, it's going to be reactionary but it's still part of the same subject matter if you're, feck- so if you're if
2: feckless it- in a in a in an action-filled mm-hmm. environment then i think that would be a pretty pretty good approach
1: but that is not the perpetrating of it. That's being helpless. That's not being violent. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well... How, how can... Well, be let's, violent. Let's go find this album and
2: have this discussion. I mean, let's, that's the issue.
1: But let's talk about that idea of a song. Choose something that's actual passion. Choose something, some sort of emotion where you're, you're, you're really feeling it deeply. How can you do that passively? Okay, but let's Wait. not
2: have too much of a roundabout conversation here. If If, if you want to look at something... Full of passion, then the lyrics should be passionate. Well, that's only because you said
1: they were passionate in the beginning. So
2: then it's a chicken egg about, situation.
1: Well, I'm talking about from the artistic point, from the actual musician creating the music. Yeah, but once Just, you're looking at
2: more subliminal messages, then all of a sudden that stuff starts to, you know, be really cagey.
0: Also, uh, the more important point I think to make beyond what John's trying to say is not, not all emotions are active. Some of the emotions are passive, even on the flip side. That's so, my point. And so, yes, so you're technically both right. When you're dealing with the violence as a perpetrator of violence, typically it's going to relate more aggressively because that's how the nature of that is. But the flip side of it, the helplessness of someone being having violence put towards them is going to be different. And I think that's what's even more important when conveying lyrics either in the background or the foreground is the perspective Those lyrics take emotionally, depending on the side of the emotion they are reflecting. The doer versus the receiver, in some cases, can also affect the impact. And doing a dichotomy or a flip on it might make even more impact. One Mm. of my
1: favorite songs still that we reviewed is Jimmy Iovine from Macklemore and Ryan Luce's The Heist. (laughs) The first segment of it is the heist, is the going in and bringing guns and gonna take that contract. As soon as the individual from the recording studio starts talking, everything slows down. Everything becomes a, a different character because this is not someone who's expecting that violence. It's not expecting that confrontation. They're smooth talking and it's a complete different tonal shift. Doing that, I mean, it's it's making the vocals and the lyrics, but in this case, mostly the vocals, fit the emotion they're trying to portray. And it's just, I don't see how they can really do that, that that build-up, lead-up by being passive with the vocals, by taking a backseat to the music. But see, you're taking this out a little bit too much here.
2: I mean, as I recall, that discussion was, was way back in episode 47, uh, The Heist by Malcolm Moore and Ryan Lewis. This was, this was a, a strange case because I really... I don't know, I, I've, I've had some time to sit with that album, and, and we, were, we really raved about it, but I do think that, like, it is so on point, I don't believe there was really anything terribly subliminal there. Every point he wants to make, and he makes it loudly, and there's very little, there's not, it's not a subliminal message, it's just, this is what I believe, this is how I approached it, and this is what happened. So you can't really have the same conversation. The lyrics are, are just straight up the tale you could remove them from the music and and i think they would really stand on their own because you still get the tale at the end. You get the message that he's that he's trying to convey. You get everything everything is is there. And the, and then the music, well, it's nice. It's nice. Plus i i believe that Ryan Lewis is a really good musician. He puts together a nice backdrop, but it was just nice to see them married. They weren't almost they weren't really necessary. So that's the only problem i see with that argument. I don't think it's because of the subliminal message that you had that particular
1: reaction no i think it's about the portrayal of the vocals and how forceful he was in one section going into the next and taking that step back where but that's just dynamics that's that's the expected dynamics and and it works They, they they equate to the story but that's what i'm saying when you're trying to tell these stories it's just some ways just
2: won't work i'm just saying this is the example of something that is very clear cut and dry and on point I feel this way so I sing this way. And this is not necessarily the discussion that we're having. We're we're having a discussion on on cases where it's a lot more complex than that, where it's the the intent, artistic intent is to approach something in a certain manner that almost conv- conveys the conflict in your mind at that moment, because we all are sort of split in many directions at many times. We all sometimes feel like we should act, you know, Schrodinger's cat complex, like you mentioned. Like, you're supposed to feel at a certain time like you're supposed to act in a certain way. But a lot of times, we are, we are at that fork in the road. And I believe a lot of artists, some of the best artists, will actually try to capture that fork in the road in their art. Because it makes you really, really empathize. It makes you feel like the next step is going to... Well, you don't know what the next step is going to be. You're you're out in the...
0: You're in the cold. You're just like the artist is. I mean, it's definitely, I think, a very powerful... I mean, I think... T- to play the middleman here, I think both are very powerful. I think when the information is delivered to you in a very powerful but straightforward way, it can have a lot of impact. Especially since some people need that kind of in-your-face straight delivery. Yep. That said also conveying those options and those difficulties and that indecision is also very impressive and it's also often done in different ways. I think that ultimately lyrical delivery, I don't think that having it in the background removes it from its impact. I think there is some weight to a subliminal impact in music, but also having it very upfront and in your face is a different delivery that some people need in music to A, enjoy it, or B, find what they're looking for. Both are acceptable. <laughs>
2: well, I totally agree. No, or this just, conversation is probably inevitably going, but it's interesting to address it.
1: It's well, interesting
0: to figure out how we get there.
1: Some of the best ways to do that is... is is. When you start talking about the, quote, softer emotions, love, or even fear, those two are very strong in it. You want to be able to hear a quiver in a voice, whether it's through love or fear or something like that. That can be more telling than saying anything in the world. Sure. Because we can equate just sounds to different emotions. And that's one of the great things about just the ability to communicate as humans. Eh, is something we use on the show okay. because it describes a feeling perfectly for us. You can do that with your voice. You could do that with saying the most nonsensical thing in the world. I totally agree with that. But there's always that little thing. I, I just think that some ways are. Maybe easier, maybe better to do than others for different messages that you're getting across. We have the
2: luxury, though, of having this discussion in the 20th and
1: (laughs) 21st century world where the the
2: vocals can be interpreted as more than an instrument. Because there was a time when if you couldn't sing or if you could only barely sing, it probably wasn't going to make it. You probably weren't going to make it very far because that's not really what... People, what people want—they don't have time to sit with your album. They don't have time to to get into your head necessarily. They want music. They wanna they wanna feel something way, a certain way, which is why I think instrumentalists really f- fascinate me. Uh, instrumentals, is that they can they can actually try to capture that ambiguity without really even invoking the lyrics. But uh, unfortunately, we have this issue now where everyone's always a little bit skeptical of a certain vocalist. It's like, are you really singing? Oh, wait, there's art behind that. I always have to give you the benefit of the doubt. And this becomes the, the discussion that people have been having now for 50 years
0: of rock and roll reviews and, and others. Um, in closing, I think I would want to ask, since we were kind of building to this anyway, do you have a preference for lyrics in the foreground or lyrics in the background? Um, I think I can guess everyone's answer. Steve prefers lyrics and has a preference to lyrics in the background. John has preference to lyrics in the foreground. And I'm somewhere in the middle because, honestly, I am. I kind of depends on the song.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm with uh, what I think you astutely observed before, which is the subliminal message. Okay. The idea where I'm affected by the music first. But you and, get affected by the lyrics in the back. I get affected by the lyrics after that. that. I think that's the experience I have with a lot of the Decembrists' work. In general, he gives me a mood, and he's very, very clear about that mood. Um, and it's often very complex at the same time. And then I, I, I sit and I really listen to what he's saying after so many tracks uh, that it, it, it's the, all of a sudden the setting is clear. And, and I think that's a really wonderful thing.
1: Which is weird because my love from the Decembrists comes from his stories. Just from oh, the, I, a lot, it's not. It's, it's not it's, it's not even the setting. It's it's purely his ability to wordplay first, and then everything else builds upon that setting he creates, the stories he creates, the characters that are there. It's this would we, take this would take some
2: calling through, culling through uh, uh, Colin Malloy's uh, interviews. But I really would love to know. How it's actually done, whether he is that lyric first guy or music first guy. I'd love to know.
0: I've interviewed enough musicians at this point to know that there's a third option, and it's both at the same time. There are artists I've talked to who kind of develop both together. And it's funny because with the Decemberists, for me, I'm kind of somewhere. I am truly somewhere in the middle, depending on the song that they're singing. You know, obviously, a song like a cautionary song is all about the story it's all about the lyrics the music is kind of just you a that. setting but that's the story like they're telling a story but you know a song some of the songs off the newer album like don't wake the baby the the lyrics are important for the specific details but the urgency the distraught the the, the, the world-shaking nature of this kind of new baby, newborn, change, life-changing thing definitely comes from the music, too. And to me, some of my favorite songs
2: off uh, Picaresque, On the Bus Mall, The Engine Driver, these are songs where the, mir- the music hits me first and it smacks me in the face in such a way. I I, I can't even describe necessarily what that emotion is, but it is extremely moving. Um, I'd love to have like an episode discussion on it, frankly. But then you start to get that in the lyrics themselves. The engine driver on the bus mall. They start off as very ambiguous, and you need to read into it to really find out what he's saying. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing.
1: If you want to talk about an episode, you could do, I could do an episode on the line, The Wanting Comes in Waves. <laughs> like, that right there. Uh, no, nah, evoc- but see, that's clear cut to me.
2: I know what the one thing comes in waves means. I know yet, what that means. Yet. There's... I don't know what on the bus mall means. I don't know what he's doing in the bus mall.
1: No, but... Wait, it, what's, a, what's a bus mall? <laughs> that simple line for me evokes dozens of imi- uh, pieces of imagery just, just by itself. When you start adding on the rest of the music, that's where everything comes to fruition. But it's, it's that imagery that's evoked right away
0: that's just beautiful. I'm going to head this off at the pass because we don't need to do an entire episode on the December, so I'm sure we could... Bye. We've already have kind of, kind, sort of, but we, we'll do it again. It's um, like our inevitable Beatles episode that we've never done and and we'll never do, but we want to do. We have Imagine. completely Beatles for that. It, I'm sorry, that's true. This, that's true. We're it's not going to do a better job. So than then, then we we'll, should we should do completely Queen because I'm on board for that one anyway. Completely, que- no, we can't do. No, pun. no, there's no, pun. there's no pun there.
1: And honestly, if the Beatles were to produce an album right now, I wouldn't ever want to review it because we could never do it justice. It's the Beatles. Well, it's the Beatles. That's not going to
0: happen unless they learn how to resurrect the dead. So I'm hoping. Anyway, Steve, before we uh, wrap up today's episode, do you have a spam mail for us? Oh, I most certainly have a spam
2: mail for you today. Buy all wholesale NFL hats from China. NFL Hats Factory. 100% products guarantee. Buy Baltimore Ravens. Big and tall jerseys.
1: Oh, man, I don't like the Ravens. I'm oh. a 49er fan. The real? Oh, are I, you? I, how's that right? working for, out for We're you? We're not going to talk about football. I'm wearing a 49er hat and hoodie right now.
2: 100% products guarantee. 100%. 100%. 100%. That's that means all products guarantee.
0: That means when you buy something, actually talking get it. talking about a thing that means nothing by trying to say something exactly. Um, I miss good football. <laughs> well, that you hit, should that hit just,
1: real home this year. Just, oh, just
2: man. try watching a better team. That's all. I should uh, go in search of more moving span. What, your the 5
0: and 5 Giants? Better than your whatever San Francisco. We're not going to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't think so. I had to bring it up. Next um, week. Next week we have our November guest. So our November guest has been a guest on the Epic Piecast. Um, she's a friend of all the folks on there. Her name is Killy Dwyer, and she's in the ba- she plays in the band. She's the front woman for Kill the Band. Um, they are a music, comedy, act, um, much in the vein of Afterbirth Monkey. Um, very funny woman. Um, I've enjoyed her being guests on other podcasts. I believe she was a guest on the Epic Podcast. That's how I first heard of her. Um, we connected over the internet, and she's going to be joining us in the studio next week. Um, I don't have her album yet because I... She didn't get it to me yet, so we'll leave that as a surprise. surprise. Che- check the website, post. Which would make it not—they already not a have surprise, because right. they're listening. So, yeah, that's true. So
1: tell us about the surprise. Not, I hope it was good. Not
0: yet. I mean, if they're listening on um, on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, no, they, they, they oh yeah, no, they wouldn't get the next review. You're right. yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it has. That sometimes it imports it. Sometimes it doesn't. A little trick. So they may have it. It depends on how they're listening to it. Schrodinger's cat. It's all because you prompted me last Yeah, week. I know, that's all my fault, sure, blame me Anyway, so we're excited to have Killy And uh, we will see you guys next week Remember, music is and and life And life is good, good.